Content warning. This show is intended for a mature audience. This episode specifically features brief discussion of sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. Hi there, and welcome to Working Out the Kinks, the show where we take a feminist, LGBTQIA inclusive, kink-positive look at sex and sexuality. I'm your host, Jesse Hitch. Today, we'll be talking with Dr. Lori Batito. Dr. Lori is a straight-up sex expert. I've watched both of her TED Talks on YouTube, and I've been following her work for years, so I'm definitely fangirling here a little bit. Dr. Lori is the president of the Sexual Health Network of Quebec and is dedicated to making sex ed great again. Before we jump into the episode, we have another awkward sex story. This one comes from Reddit. I was having sex with my girlfriend in her parents' house while they were sleeping. Her uncle arrived with her female cousin. We didn't hear them arrive because TV was on. Her cousin knocked on the bedroom door and my girl put on her panties and my t-shirt and went to the door. I was naked under the blanket. Her cousin hugged her tight and jumped into the bed to hug me too. It was just that blanket in between us in that sexual atmosphere. She clearly felt my boner and quickly moved her body away from mine. She stood up and said, well, sorry if I interrupted anything and quickly exited the room. Worst stoppage ever. And now onto the show. Okay, cool. So I guess then it, what we could do first, could you introduce yourself for our listeners and like what you do? Sure. I'm Dr. Lori Batito. I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm a sex therapist as well. I, uh, I host uh, a radio show for the last 19 years in Montreal on mm-hmm. sex and relationships. And uh, I'm also the director of the Pornhub Sexual Wellness Center and the author of a book called The Sex Bible for People Over 50. That's amazing. So what do you do as the director of sexual wellness at Pornhub? What what do you do? What does that so, mean? Well, all right. So we, we created this site in collaboration with them. So I had an idea of wanting to reach as many people as possible because really my mission developed into sex education for adults, like really educating the public about the real stuff going on. And I wanted to reach more people. And they were looking to do some kind of community project, like community-based project. So we put our heads together and came up with the Pornhub Sexual Wellness um, Center. And basically, this is a site on Pornhub. So it wasn't made like as a separate, it was, it was kind of like to reach the people who are already going to Pornhub. So people who are surfing porn uh, would have access to this site to get quality sexual wellness information to combat a little bit of what they see, uh, especially if they're looking at porn for a, a sex education purposes. We wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that there was a balance there. So 
As the director, I approve all the contributors. So all our contributors are specialists in the field of sexuality. So some of them are medical doctors, some of them are sex therapists, sexologists, uh, coaches who work in, in relationships and dating. We have LGBTQ specialists. We have people writing on sex and disability. We have trans uh, issues. I, I mean, just about every topic is uh, is covered there. So, and we upload content every week. So I'm in charge of getting the content from uh, and managing all of these writers for us, all these contributors. I'm also, I also get all the emails. We get, um, like we have a Q&A section so people can submit questions and then I answer a certain number of questions per week that go up on the site as well. But it's like the demand has become huge that we have to figure out how to answer more questions quickly. (laughs) So what kind of content do you produce through this then? Or do you just kind of acquire content? No, I write some of my blog posts. Okay. So they're all original pieces. They're all people who write for the Sexual Wellness Center. Okay. Uh, So we're not going out and looking for other content. We're actually... We have our own group of writers. Well, prof- I don't call them writers. They're professionals who write. Okay. And, um, and so they submit their blog posts, like, you know, depending on also the kinds of questions that come in. So if I see that there's a whole lot of questions about uh, um, fears around masturbation, then we, I may write an article on, on masturbation, for example. So some of it is driven by what people are asking. Many of them are driven like that. And then we also like to have a variety of different areas that are uh, touched upon as well. So we want to make sure we cover the range of sexual health, I like think- from the very basic to to the most kinky, let's say. I love it. I think that's so great because I, I kind of feel like as the Internet continues to progress and we get more technologically advanced we're going to start running into people who are learning sex from the internet and not necessarily in a educational way. So I think that's a really exactly. good way to kind of combat that. Well, I figured I'd go where the people are, right? So right? <laughs> if, uh, like Pornhub gets like 70 million visitors a day. I figured, uh, let me get a few of those yeah. and I'll be happy, you know? So we've had like in the, in the year, I'd say we've had over 4 million visits. So at least we are reaching people and people are finding us and coming to us. Um, so that's good. That's It's really encouraging. I like that. So kind of along the same vein then there, how do you, do you feel like pornography is contributing to sexual education in any way? <laughs> Not well. Not well. <laughs> <laughs> to truth be told, I think it's, right? <laughs> uh, it's unfortunately, uh, you know, <laughs> What's so interesting for me is that I get letters from all over the world. So I get to actually see how little information people have all over the world. Oh, yeah. And and so the, it's incredible some of the questions I get that are so basic that you and I would think everybody knows that. No, not everybody knows that. But then those are the people who are on Pornhub, right? So they right. are uh, they're watching porn, trying to get answers, but they're not going to get they're not going to get those answers because they're not, those things aren't being addressed. So, you know, they, they may, young people, for example, may turn to pornography because they have nowhere else to go. And it's the only 
source they have easy access to because their schools don't offer it or their parents aren't talking about it or there's no other real source. Uh, so they look at that thinking, well, I guess this, this is something, but then they start to, to think, well, maybe this is what sex is all about. And so I'm seeing in my practice as a, as a, a clinician, as a sex therapist, a lot of performance anxiety in young men. A lot of uh, people questioning their abilities and women saying, how come I, how come I don't have these explosive orgasms or how come, you know, my vulva doesn't look like that or things like that. So I don't think it's a great way to access uh, good sexual information. That's for sure. Well, and, and I have to say, I, I, I do agree with that. I think it's, it's something that I feel like in schools, especially here in America, the schools here, it's the sex education is ridiculous. It's woefully lacking. Unfortunately, you have so many areas that have abstinence only, I think, still curriculum, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I I graduated, I mean, like a, a decade ago. So but from what I learned in high school, I mean, they showed us pictures of uh, genital warts and yeah, disease genitals, yeah, right? <laughs> right, which is totally what you want to see. And they told us that we had a woman come around with a piece of tape, and she brought these like three boys up to the front of the room, and she put the piece of tape on their arm, and then would pull the piece of tape off. And obviously, that she put it on their arm hair, so it would hurt. And right. she was saying that a woman is like that piece of tape. And when you pull it off, it hurts. And then she was like, when she goes to all these other men, and then she hold, she held it up and she like touched it, and she's like, it's lost its bonding power. And I was like, oh, I had wow. I was already sexually active at that time, and so I just remember feeling <laughs> like you know gutter trash at that point. Talk I was like, about what the hell? In a subtle way, huh? Right? It it was not subtle, and it was horrible. So, um. I definitely, like I said, I did a little stalking online, and I do like, because you're also the president of the Quebec Sexual Health Network, is that correct? Yes, the Sexual Health Network of Quebec, which is basically a nonprofit organization. It, it actually used to be called Planned Parenthood of Quebec, of oh, Montreal. Cool. That's And uh, hmm. so it, it's not your typical Planned Parenthood. Well, that's why we kind of changed the name, because we yeah. don't offer any services uh, except for sex education. Right. So we go into the schools and we, we kind of plug in the holes where there are no where where no sex education exists. We kind of go in there and, and offer classes and we do it for free. So like we fundraise and we get grants and, and things like that so that we can we can offer it for free. So the schools can't have a hard time turning us down. That's amazing. Yeah. So in reading some of what's going on, I was reading that Canada is changing their sexual education kind of curriculums. How are how are they doing that? Well, we've always had like it, Canada is, is a little different, right? We all have we have many provinces, and mm-hmm. each province is kind of run independently, so we don't have like one Canadian way of looking at it. But generally speaking, our provinces are pretty good at offering sex education. We don't have abstinence-only programs. We have comprehensive sex education. It's just that the problem we face is that. It's not compulsory. In some provinces, it hasn't been mandatory, so which means that some kids get it, some kids don't, some teachers teach it, some teachers don't. It's been left up to, kind of left up to the teachers. What they've wanted to do is have, have a sex education addressed in every single class, so whether it be math or geography or gym class, 
that that's their that was their ultimate goal but because it was voluntary on the teachers part we a lot of kids missed the boat because a lot of teachers weren't prepared to do that mm-hmm. so we're changing it now at least in Quebec where we're looking at mandatory uh, compulsory uh, sex, edu- sex, sex education classes, but we, we still don't know who's going to be teaching it and how it's going to be implemented. But we have a great curriculum. We've had one for a long time where it goes from kindergarten all the way up to uh, what well, we go up to um, 11th grade. So it goes all the way from, you know, um, kindergarten to 11th grade. And nice. what should be taught in each grade developmentally, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, and things like that. So I think we're pretty good. Like, we've got that, we've got the right idea. We just need to implement it better. That's, yeah. that's the only thing. Well, I think that's cool, though, because I, I've read about some other countries, um, I want to say, like, Finland and Norway, that are doing similar programs to that. Have you, yes. is, is that uh, kind of where you got the ideas from, or...? No, well, I think they, those countries do it far better than anybody else because yeah. for that, that, their whole country gets the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. So that's my dream is what what I see there. And in Sweden, like I've seen some of their some of their programs that are they're they're very open in talking about it, very non judgmental, and they have a great approach to it. And it's it's just part every kid knows it's just part of life and. They get it every year, right? They get sex education every year. And I think that's really important, but it's a it's a way to develop the community's attitude towards it. So yeah. it's like, you know, we have a given that math is taught, right? Mm-hmm. We know we don't complain. Math is taught. Every, every year you learn math, whatever level you are. Well, they do the same with sexual health education. Every year you get sexual health education, just like math. So no different. Which is, I think, kind of great because you get this foundational understanding as well. It's not just like in middle school, you're thrown into like hormones and and differences in bodies and then suddenly like don't have sex or you're going to get genital warts and pregnant. Like, yeah. So you get like that foundational understanding. Exactly. Well, in in psychology, we call it scaffolding, right? So a big scaffold and you, you build one on top of the other. And it's great to be able to start at the very, very beginning of uh, of one schooling when you're young enough to to start talking about these things and again we're not teaching five-year-olds how to but you're teaching them how what their bodies are what privacy means you're you know you're giving them all of this stuff you're even teaching them about consent in those young grades Mm -hmm. i'm not talking about sexual consent but simply like you know you you can't just run after a kid in the playground and kiss them for example just because you like them you have to ask their permission you know and so it starts at a very young age and so when you build on that by the time they get to be sexual being like sexually active beings then um you you know you have a a, i think a, a more responsible bunch yeah and they they kind of understand everything a little bit more and, yeah. and since it's already been talked about, if there are questions that people have, then they're, it's, they know it's a safe and it's an open space that they can ask those questions and receive an honest answer. Yeah. And in some, of the, in some countries, they actually have like, um, I was told from a Swedish person who I had on my show once that like every street corner has almost a, a sexual clinic where you could just walk in, hang out, get your contraceptives get some testing if you need to talk to somebody if you need to they're everywhere they're everywhere huh 
And I bet, well, you know, there's not people. <laughs> yeah, and there's probably not people standing outside with pictures of dead babies screaming yeah. at you to go in. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's, that's that's an that's American good. thing, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's it's aggressively American. It it is. <laughs> Sadly, so. Yeah, it's it's kind of a problem. So, how do you so kind of going into that vein? Then, how do you feel that the U.S. can improve their sexual education? Do you think it's like possible at this point, or? <laughs> you know, I I can't comment <laughs> on your political situation right now. <laughs> Um, I'm not comfortable. Doing no, 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 that you're as a fine. Because I'm not living there. Right. Uh, but, you know, maybe uh, you can look to other countries to see how things are done, including mm-hmm. other non sexual things are done. We, we you know, yeah. We don't, we don't have mass school shootings here. <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> you know, but, but you have to look at those countries that do things right and learn from them. I love looking at the Swedish system, for example, and getting some of the the way they do things and incorporating it here in some of the programs that we do. Let, let, let's look at where the statistics are, right? So if we see that, I mean, the studies show it, right? So abstinence-only education states tend to have higher rates of unwanted pregnancy and higher rates of sexually transmitted infection. Mm-hmm. So we know it doesn't work. Why are we doing it? I have no idea. I'm right, right. there with you. So, but this is where it gets a little political, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like all the other issues <laughs> that that are uh, in these days. So it gets very political, and uh, so we're not really meeting the needs, I believe, of the population. Mm-hmm. And we need sexual health information if we want to protect our people. Well, it's it's like this is you know it's vital. Yeah, it's it's the one thing you're gonna use throughout your whole life, kind of no matter what. Like, yeah, you can take calculus, but not everybody's gonna use calculus on a you know through the rest right. of their lives. Everybody, whether you're you know straight what? and cisgender, or if you're you know not mm-hmm. or asexual people, even like you're still going That's to have right. to deal with these with these issues. And I think that having an open and honest communication around those is really really important. Right. Well, you can deny the fact that we are sexual beings. Mm-hmm. We just, we cannot deny that. Whether we choose to have sex or not have sex, that's a different story. But we are all sexual beings. It's, a, it's an integral part of who we are as human beings. So to, it, to only look at one facet of that, which is, you know, let's say, like, the whole issue of abstinence. I'm not against talking about abstinence. I think it's really important that we talk about choice. Mm-hmm. If, if somebody chooses to remain abstinent until whatever, whether, whether when they get married or whether they turn a certain age or whatever choice they make, that's fine. It should be talked about as an, as a, an alternative. But you can't just talk about that and ignore that other people may, the, the kids you're talking to, some of them may not have that belief. Mm-hmm. And some of them may choose to be sexual, whether you tell them not to or, you know, that's not not up to well, the, yeah. the powers that be, right? Exactly. Well, and I, I do remember at one point in school, a friend of mine had been sexually assaulted at this time. Mm-hmm. We were in high school and she had been previously sexually assaulted. And then they had the abstinence only people come in and they were talking about how you know, a woman who has had sex is like a used piece of gum, like a chewed mm. up piece of gum, right? 
right? That's horrible. I know. And I just remember looking at my friend and watching her face because she didn't choose to have sex. That's right. And now she's feeling like she's a chewed up piece of gum, even though it wasn't her choice. And so I think that that we can really damage people. It can be very yeah. dangerous in how we're talking about these things. And it, it, yeah. It's very damaging, in fact, because in a comprehensive sexual health uh, class, you're going to talk about sexual assault and you're mm-hmm. going to talk about consent and you're going to talk about all these unhealthy relationships and abusive relationships. And all these things are going to be brought up. But in a, if you're just talking about don't do it and here's why you don't do it, um, where does all that other information get taught? Exactly. Or get learned? Mm-hmm. And then how does it leave... How do all these people feel? How many people feel left out? 10% of our population is LGBT. Like, what What about them? Right. You know, and, and what about those women who have been assaulted? One in four before the age of 18. So, hello. Yeah. You We're know. talking to so many people, and it... it... We really, I think, need to be very careful with our words and how we're teaching people. Yeah, we need we need advocates. We need uh, people pushing for sexual health education. We need to change attitudes, you know. But it's big because, I mean, you, well, you know, way far better than I do, living in the states, that you have such a there's such a vast array of 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 uh, thinking, right? Yeah. Have some that are super conservative and then others who are very liberal mm-hmm. and, you know, different regions. And so it's really tough. It is. And it's it's definitely something in trying to educate my daughter at home. She's too. I, I already teach her things like she if she doesn't want to give hugs, she doesn't have to give hugs. She doesn't mm-hmm. have to give kisses. It's her choice. And I get some, even still, like, I get some weird looks from people that, like, no, she's grandma. She's entitled to a hug. And I'm like, no, nobody's entitled to your affection. And it's it's right. interesting, even just in family dynamics, how that's different. And, yeah. you know, I'm so nervous to send her into school because I feel like I may not be setting her up for <laughs> success in school because I'm... I don't know. It's it's a it's a hard thing. You know, you've got conservative parents who are like, no, you can't teach them anything about sex. It makes them want to do it. And yeah, then, that's so wrong. Yeah. I, I mean, the studies show that the, quite the opposite. That's that's why I was based it on what I know from research. Mm-hmm. And research has shown us time and again that kids whose parents talk to them about sex are far likelier um, to delay having sex. And when they do have sex, they are far likelier to use protection. Yeah. So there's good reasons to be talking uh, about sex, ignoring it or pretending it's not there or waiting till your kids ask you questions, which of course they won't if they sense your discomfort. So uh, you're doing the right thing by starting young, talking about body parts, talking about uh, uh, how your body is yours and no one's allowed to touch it without your consent. These are things that are important because we also know from research that the um, the most vulnerable kids for uh, sexual abuse, for example, mm-hmm. are around six or seven years old. Yeah. So, But the kids who have information like no one 
you know, your body is yours. And if, if, if somebody makes you feel uncomfortable or touches you in an uncomfortable way, whoever that might be, you're allowed to say, hey, no, it's my body. And so they, those are the kids that are less vulnerable because they're the ones who will speak up. Yeah. And, it, uh, and it's, so it's protective. It is. I really, yeah, I, f- I feel the same way. I think it's important that we have these conversations and we talk about it. And to and it's uncomfortable sometimes to talk about, you know, like my kid, she discovered that, you know, touching herself there feels good. And I'm like, I don't know how to address this without like, oh, okay, <laughs> lay it on me. I will Want take this. Yes, please. <laughs> I had to deal with this with my own kids when they were little, too. They're all grown up now. But um, I remember that very day, exactly what you're just describing, in the bathtub, right? Yep. It's usually in the bath. They're naked. And their their hands are, you know, just like little boys pulling yep. on the penis. Girls, girls are exploring their genitals, too. Mm-hmm. And they find, they press, they touch their clitoris, basically. And they are, they feel like, oh, that feels good yeah. right and and then they keep doing it so the way to do it is it's a nonchalant kind of way it's like oh because they'll usually say mommy yeah, I feel, you know this little button da, 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 or they'll say something or that feels good mm-hmm. so you, you just have to name it you say yes that's your clitoris and that when it when you touch that it feels good that's it you're just validating what it is i and i think and it seems so simple <laughs> it actually it, it is quite simple yeah. it's our discomfort as adults that makes it so feel so complicated right so like here's my thing she will like rub on things around the house so i'm like mm-hmm. how do i like i definitely had to tell her the other day like you know honey we don't touch our vulva at the table yeah um, that's good. so you know what's a what's a healthy way to redirect like should i redirect that or just kind of let her do her thing well, I think that's a really good question because once they discover, often kids, like once they discover what feels good, they, you know, they just keep at it, right? right. Because it feels good. <laughs> Who wouldn't? It's so innocent. It's not having to do with sex. It's like, oh, like picking your nose, you know, right. like if they really feel good, they're going to keep doing it. <laughs> uh, so this is where you put the rules in. So you don't do it at the table. You don't do it in a, in a public. You could do it in your room anytime you want or in the bathroom, like you start to talk about privacy okay. at that point. And you just, you you know, sometimes they're a little young to to really understand the concept, but you, you know, you just keep talking to them. It's okay. Yeah, I know it feels good and that's good, but this is something you do in private. Okay. And it seems yeah. like it's, it seems like it's really simple. And I feel like trying to explain that to people who like babysit her, be like, well, you know, just <laughs> talk about it. And it's it's something, and you're right, it is our own discomfort with it, because we can't, mm-hmm. we're like, oh, God, like, it's weird, but it's not weird. They just figured out it feels good, and there's nothing weird That's about right. that. But think about this for a minute. How many of us had parents who might have discovered uh, us um, touching ourselves and slapped our hands away? Yep. Mm-hmm. Right? Or told us, don't do that. That's dirty right. or something. Well, Guess what? I see those adults later, right? I see those adults, and when I do a, a, a sexual assessment, I ask about childhood history and messages and all of this, and I hear these quite. I hear these comments that this is how my parents reacted to me. So I thought it was dirty. I thought it was bad, and then of course you carried that throughout your, you know, your sexual life, right? And, and that's that, those quite things, serious. They stay with you. 
Yeah. Pardon? They mm-hmm. stay with you like throughout That's your whole right. life. And it's it's once it becomes that deeply ingrained, it's hard to shake that. It's hard to get over it. Exactly. Exactly. Because then the messages reinforce the other messages, right? Mm-hmm. So then you start to hear it from the school and then you start to hear all the sex is sin and this is sinful and you'll grow hairy palms and whatever else you're going to hear, you know, and then it just, it builds on that. And then you get to be an adult and you're afraid of the pleasure your body can, can bring you. Mm -hmm. Which is really doing everybody just a disservice because now you have people who are in relationships who maybe aren't getting the things out of the, the, relationship that they need because they don't feel open enough to talk about not just in the bedroom what they want and what they need but in the relationship in general what they want and what they need well think about this right so if you've been if you've been brought up to see sex as something negative or sinful or dirty Mm -hmm. and then you get married okay so now you're married so it's perfectly you know it's not sinful anymore yeah how do you jump from one day thinking it's sinful to the next day loving sex. It's there's a disconnect. I have a friend who's uh who was raised very Christian and she was like I didn't know who I was after that because before I was just I was a virgin and that's that was so much a part of her identity and it like shaped all of her actions and all of her what everything she did and then as soon as she got married first of all she knew that everybody knew that she had had sex so she was ashamed of that oh and uh-huh. she felt like she didn't even know who she was anymore because that centerpiece of her whole personality that she was this virgin was gone and like right. how damaging is that and how did and did she even did she get to feel like this is a great, enjoyable thing. Like, you know, either you build up to an anticipation of it that it's going to be uh, so great, you know, because sometimes you have the fairy tale version, right? Mm -hmm. That you get married and then everything just falls into place. But the first time you have sex is awkward. You're having sex on your wedding night. It's pretty awkward. Yeah. It doesn't exactly happen so naturally. Um, And so there's like a disappointment and it was supposed to be this whole big thing and fireworks. Well, Mm -hmm. no, that's not going to happen. Right. The first time out. So it can be quite um, in that way. Yeah. Damaging because because it, it, it just flies in the face of everything you thought it would be. Yeah. So kind of along that same line, but kind of shifting gears a little bit. What made you decide that you wanted to to be a sex therapist or a sexpert, as I like to say? <laughs> um, you know, I get asked that question a lot. It's really hard for me to tell. I'm, I'm 54 years old now. When I was a teenager, I, I was the girl with the big mouth and mm-hmm. I, I was very social and my friends all came to me and asked me for advice. I'm not, I'm not sure why. It's not like I had done everything and, you know, it wasn't like that, but they, they just kind of knew I would talk about it. So I was kind of the go-to, but back in my day, now I feel really old when I say that, but back in my day, uh, we didn't have access, first of all, we had no internet, but we didn't have access to any material. The only thing I had was uh, Cosmopolitan magazine. Okay. And Cosmo had all kinds of great, you know, tips for sex. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like how to, how to give great oral sex, how to do this, how to do that. So that was what I was combing through and kind of, you know, giving my friends the, the tips I had read and, and, and stuff like that. So uh-huh. it was, 
I think it was just an it was just easy for me to talk about. Like if I look back, thinking about that, and I remember listening to Dr. Ruth, and all of that was was really exciting to me. Um, exciting, not in the arousal sense, but right. exciting to be able to talk about it. And I, I remember um, I couldn't remember like how far back, but I did run into uh, a teacher of mine from uh, high school years and years later, and she said to me. Um, oh, did you ever become that sex therapist you always wanted to be? And I said, I talked about that in high school. She says, you sure did. I said, oh, well, I did, you know. Huh. Uh, so I must have, I, I'm not sure what drove me in that direction, but I, I eventually I, I got the training. Uh, I, I always knew I wanted to be in the helping field, so I always knew I'd either be a social worker or a psychologist or something. Uh, and then it all just kind of happened organically, naturally, kind of life took me down that path. So I did all those things. I, I became first a social worker, and then uh, I went on to graduate work in that, and then I switched over to psychology, and I did a couple of degrees there and got my Ph.D. in psych, and then I did, in between all of that, I took a two-year training in sex therapy. So I managed to to do that, and then uh, and I worked all, you know, I've been I've been doing sex therapy for about thirty years now, and uh, and then probably at the very beginning of my career, I started radio. I started just talking about sex on the radio, and that led to more radio and more radio. So that's been my my whole life has been talking a lot about sex. And I think that's that's awesome, though, because a lot of people don't want to talk about it or they don't know how to talk about it. So it's really nice to have people out there that are open and honest and just nonchalant about it, like you said. Yeah. And professional, too, because yeah. what was lacking and I, that, that's why I like like doc, the Dr. Ruth of the world, because mm -hmm. they had they they brought with them a certain sense of professionalism and a, a knowledge and science based knowledge. It wasn't just a sex show just to be, you know, sensationalistic, right? Just to bring in kind of listeners. It was really to be helpful. Right. And so for me, that was really always very important for me to maintain my uh, professional uh, identity and all of that, and which is sometimes hard to do when you're in media and in radio because you want to be entertaining as well. So there's like a fine line between, you know, being informative and being entertaining and, and trying to produce a show that can do both. Mm -hmm. uh, but we managed to do that. I mean, I think I've clocked in some maybe close to 5,000 shows. So. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so you're and a there's pro. always something to talk about, you know. <laughs> That's what's so exciting about this show is because we just we have a running list of so many different topics that we can just talk about and we can get people on the show to talk about their experiences. And I think that's, that's really cool. So what, what do you think, what's another way that like a podcast can help, especially here in, in the States? Like we talked about how just the sex ed is kind of severely lacking. So what are some ways that this podcast can actually help contribute to a healthy sexual health overall? Well, you know, I think you're doing it. I think the fact that you're addressing issues nobody else wants to or that, that few people feel comfortable doing and that you're talking about every aspect of uh, of human sexuality is really important that 
people, at least thank God people can find podcasts now and they can get that information now, right? Because you may not be able to get on your local, just on your local radio station, but you people, I mean, it's all over the internet now. You can find everything you want. So, and there are a lot of quality people out there and hosts who are taking the issue, you know, and, and really dissecting it and talking about it and getting great, you know, guests and people who can, who have been professionals who can talk about these things so that we open the eyes up of everybody else who may not have access to that or may not, maybe you'll talk about kink and somebody has never met somebody who's into kink or mm-hmm. they never talked about it. So they, they wouldn't know, but it's like, oh, that exists. Oh, there's that many people. Oh, you know, uh, and knowledge is power in my books. Yeah. Well, yay. Cool. So, so good job. <laughs> oh, stop it. I'm getting, I was like, oh, I can't. I, I can't even talk like a normal human right now. Uh, okay. So what does, what does sexual wellness mean to you? Like, and how do you feel that your understanding as well as like a more universal understanding has changed and evolved over time? Well, I like to talk about sexual health and sexual wellness. Wellness is like, it's the opposite of sickness, right? So when you go to the doctor, you go because there's a sickness. I like to to, to do it preventatively, so talk about sexual wellness so that people have an understanding of what is, let's say, it's not, I hate this word, but what is normal, mm-hmm. and there's a huge range of normal. But people don't know that. It's black or white, one thing or another, normal, not normal. And so for me, uh, like, for somebody to be well is to understand the difference, first of all, with what is healthy, what is unhealthy. And I say that because a lot of people come to me thinking there's something seriously wrong with them. And then when I do my evaluation, there's there's nothing wrong with them. They're, they just question their normality. Mm-hmm. You know, like women who come to see me because and they are distraught because they've never had an orgasm through intercourse and they don't understand and why and is it my partner and my partner's upset and there's something wrong with me what's wrong with me my partner thinks there's something wrong with me and I look at them and I'm going you know you're like 75% of all women right you fit into like and they look at me like what what (laughs) really are you serious And, and some of them start to cry of relief because they've been carrying this around for so long thinking they're damaged because they just don't have that knowledge and and because they don't talk about it with other people right you're only when you're with friends or whatever they're not talking about the issues they have they're talking about the great sex they had last night and you don't want to pipe in and say well yeah my husband came real quick you know (laughs) i have a problem with that but you're not going to hear that (laughs) Right. No. <laughs> okay. So, so they think they're all alone. They sit in that group thinking, oh, I must be the only one not having great sex, or I must be the only one not having an orgasm. Oh, no. So, yeah. So often it's just knowing that they fit in just fine in the realm of normal, that there is nothing wrong with their partner, that it is not about their attraction to their partner. I mean, it could be in some cases, but that's not the... You know, the majority of, we all, we all, I say we all know, but many people don't know, but 75 to 80% of women will not orgasm through intercourse alone. Okay. Most women need clitoral stimulation. So, you know, you need, you kind of need that fact in your head. Right. 
And if you don't know that because you were never taught that, then, you know, well, you just walk around. Imagine the frustration. Yeah. It would be, uh-huh. ugh. Like, I'm, like, frustrated for these people just sitting here. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I see that every day. Oh. I, I really, I see that every day. Or men who think that they're worried because they, they take, uh, they ejaculate far too quickly. And for them too quickly, like I always have to ask, well, what's quickly? Well, I don't know, 20 minutes. I said, well, how, how long do you think you should be? Right. I should last, an, I should last an hour, shouldn't I? And I'm like, um, the majority of men only last about between three and five minutes yeah. of intercourse. <laughs> That's the majority. I'm you know, you're thinking 20 minutes. Do, Damn. <laughs> it's like, uh, so again, yeah, the, you talk, we talked earlier about the effects of pornography, right? Mm-hmm. So when they see these guys going at it and going, at it, like they're not considering that this is edited or that this is, you know, that, uh, that these just are, are people who are high stamina for whatever reason. Right. They're not, they're not your regular folk. They're porn actors. Yeah. And they do that for a living. So it's like a job to them. It's yeah. Right. And they may have ejaculated five times before, so they can last a really long time. Yeah. So they're just going and doing their thing. Exactly. And they don't, and it doesn't show, you know, the fluffing that happens behind the scenes. It doesn't show the chafing and all the other problems that I'm sure go along with that. And, and and the female pain, never yeah. mind. <laughs> Seriously. And and I tell them most women don't want you to last an hour. It would oh. be painful for them, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. Okay. So we so, are, are nearing the end of our time together. So let's see. Can I ask if there's anything that like she wants to share? Like, or like anything because like she mentioned she had the book and things yeah um so like the only the only thing is we just have to watch how we plug anything Lori. so you just have to do it uh you can't like do any what is it called uh no calls to action no calls to action but you could just well the only thing i've got are are two uh well i mean you can say it or i can say it but if can i if people go to my website they could get all that information i don't know if you're allowed to direct people to their website we can say if you want more information you can go to dr Lori's website yeah but you can ask me about you can ask me about my book i I don't know how much time do we have uh we have about 10 minutes so okay so yeah you can ask me about my book and i I also did did two ted talks i actually was just watching your ted talks and i had seen them before but i wanted to like refresh before i talked to you and i was all excited about it uh okay. your ted talks are great bt dubs um i love them yeah but so yeah could you tell our listeners a little bit more about your book sure so uh two years ago or so i uh, published a book called the sex bible for people over 50 and uh maybe actually more than that maybe three years ago and i wrote that book uh maybe for selfish reasons i was turning 50 at the time and all my friends were 50 and i knew things were changing and uh it's the one population like in the age population where we kind of get neglected very little very few books are written about great sex after 50 like after menopause and all those kinds of things so i wanted to write a kind of a simple um a book that that was easy to read had lovely pictures erotic pictures in it but that was like a not a how to but that offered solutions so i would talk about the problems that might potentially come up and then offer solutions and exercises and things that people could try uh to to make it better so that we can have the best sex of our lives after 50 and studies are showing that that sex gets better as you get older so yay yes yeah, yay <laughs> I only have good yeah. things to look forward to, apparently. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> 
so what made yeah. you decide that so you kind of went into how like why you decided to write the book um where can i ask where we can find it or is that um, because, oh yeah where so where can we find your book uh, the book is available anywhere. Amazon, uh, pretty much it can be ordered online, and you can get more information on my website that has a little bit of information about the book. But, you you know, where all books are sold, basically. Okay, cool. Yeah. And so can you tell us just a little teeny bit about your TED Talks? Yep. So uh, last year I was invited in the same, like in the same couple of months to do two TEDx talks. So one was in uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which by the way, I, I love that state, just an right. absolute beauty. Uh, but it was interesting because it's a relatively conservative state. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I went there and I did a talk on uh, female pleasure. No, okay. maybe I did a talk. I did two. So I did one on female pleasure and I did one on uh, uh, sex and long-term relationships. Oh, yeah, I picked the more conservative topic for that okay. one, for Wyoming, actually. <laughs> uh, and I saved the other one for Montreal. But uh, so those were amazing. It was uh, it was really lovely to be asked to be part of uh, the, the TEDx uh, Jackson Hole. So that was really nice. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and... To me, that was a great way to get out a message in a in a very short time. Of course, you have to cram in a lot of information in a very short time, mm-hmm. but um, especially for long term relationships, because a lot of people don't recognize or have a hard time accepting the changes that happen once we're in a long term relationship, and, and then you know the relationships fall apart, and often in the first seven years. And so, I just wanted it to have a better understanding to so that people can know what to work on to keep the passion alive. And the other one I did was on female sexual pleasure because, and that one got more than a quarter of a million hits. So that one has a lot of views. And that one I found was really important because women often neglect their pleasure. They often look at sex as something they give and offer up rather than something that that they can take for themselves. So I wanted to kind of address that. Well, that's, that's awesome. I, like I said, I've, I have watched both of your TED Talks, but I, I didn't, I haven't like watched them in a while. It was something I watched before the podcast was even an idea. And then, yeah, Charles was like, oh yeah, we're going to try to get Dr. Lori on the show. And I was like, that sounds really familiar. And I did some (laughs) online stalking and I died a little. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have Dr. Lori on the show. You're so cute. (laughs) It's like, it's a weird Well, it's an honor and a pleasure. Well, thank you. Like, thank you so much for taking, you know, some time to... That's it for today's episode. Thanks again to Dr. Lori for taking time out of her busy schedule to chat with us today. Thank you to KRFC for having us on the KRFC Podcasting Network. Thanks to Ryan Pruitt for our theme song. And thank you for listening to the show. If you dig what you're hearing, please consider leaving us a review on your podcasting app of choice and recommend us to your friends. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to have covered on the show, let us know. We love hearing from you. You can find all of our contact information in the show notes below. See you all next time. And as always, proper communication and consent, folks. The podcast you just heard was recorded with Anchor. If you want to make your own, download the Android or iOS app completely free from anchor.fm slash podcast. That's anchor.fm slash podcast.